Hi guys, it's Kara, host of Everyone's Business But Mine. And let's be real, one thing that makes the show possible is by selling sponsorships to advertisers. One way you can support us in getting more sponsors is by telling us a little bit more about yourself. You can do that by filling out a quick survey at the link in the show description. Plus, your answers are anonymous. They'll help us learn what you love most about the show and how to make it even better. The questions will ask you about the things that help advertisers understand the audience. It'll only take a few minutes, and it's an easy way to help the show. So you can find the link in the show description. Thank you so much, and stay tuned for the rest of the show. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Everyone's Business But Mine with me, Kara Berry. I just wanted to welcome all the new listeners that I got from my last recording of the Vanderpump uh, recap episode of last week, which was a complete disaster. So happy that my anger (laughs) resonated with everybody. Unfortunately, it's going to go back to being boring, you guys. I don't really talk about Vanderpump that much unless it really moves me, um, whether through mass or comedy. Um, So hopefully if if Vanderpump can continue being quality in terms of drama, um, not this like homophobic, transphobic shit, but if we just keep the drama going on a, on a high level, I'm in and I'll be back to recap it. But, um, today I'm going to be recapping married at first sight, love after lockup and talking about two women, both amazing and horrible. Let's start with the amazing one. Um, we, okay. So I've been doing the bad bitch of black history month all month. So I don't know if if this is going to be the end of like praising black people because like, you know, I'm just rooting for everybody black, but this is the last one for black history month. And I wanted to talk about a girl named Sarah Rector, who is known as the richest colored girl in the world. Um, and her story is really kind of incredible. So um, Sarah was born in 1902 in Oklahoma, and she is of Creek descent. So I, it was a little bit confusing, but I believe what happened is that her ancestors, her parents, and her parents' parents were um, slaves under Creek Native Americans. Um, 
So what happened in Oklahoma is that they were trying to take over the land, you know, in Oklahoma from these Native Americans, but the government agreed to give every, like, descendant, you know, a certain payout, and about 600 kids of these freedmen um, got plots of land. I believe they all got um, 160 acres of land. Um, Yes, nearly 600 black children were... um, granted 160 acres of land each. Um, So this was part of the integration of the Indian Territory with the Oklahoma Territory, which is now Oklahoma. So basically, the parcel, the plot of land that Sarah got was actually not really known to be, it wasn't desirable, you couldn't farm on it or anything like that. However, um, and they also had to pay taxes on it, to the point, I think it was like $30 a year, which was, you know, her parents she lived a fine life, but, you know, this is still, like, very close out of the Civil War era. They weren't doing that great to be spending $30 a month on a plot of land that you can't really do much on. However, um, her dad made an incredible move by leasing um, Sarah's plot of land to an oil company, Standard Oil Company. Um, <clears throat> so by this time, Sarah is nine. So two years later, when Sarah's 11, they drill an oil, they drill a well in the property and boom, blow, the oil comes free. So this brought about 2,500 barrels of oil a day and Sarah began to receive about $300 a day for the oil, for owning the land on that property. So back then... This is crazy. The law at the time required that any full-blooded Native Americans, black adults, or children who were citizens of Indian, Indian territory with significant property and money were supposed to be assigned to well-respected white guardians. So any money, like if they couldn't, they couldn't handle their money, like if they were making a lot of money, they had to like basically like have a buddy system where these white people would take care of it. So as soon as, you know, she starts getting this windfall, they get pressure to change um, Sarah's guardianship from her parents to this white man um, in order so he could, like, keep a hold of her finances. So eventually Sarah's uh, oil gets bought out by a different company. And in October of 1913, Sarah receives royalties of $11,567. Um, obviously this became like huge news. Um, she started receiving requests for loans, money, gifts, marriage proposals, blah, blah, blah. She's only 12 at this point. Um, and another crazy thing is because she ended up being so wealthy, the Oklahoma legislature had to change her race. Like they declared her to be a white person so that she would be allowed to travel in first class um, as you know, was befitting to her position as a wealthy person. Um, so things, you know, got muddled up as they're wont to do. And African-Americans started finding out about her. And basically what was saying is that they heard the rumors that she was like a white person who was being kept in poverty. Um, 
A newspaper published an article claiming that her estate was being mismanaged by her family and that she was uneducated and had a poor quality of life. When really what was happening is that she was wealthy and black (laughs) and being taken advantage of by a white man. Um, the guy who was managing her money. So this became like national news. Um, Booker T. Washington got involved. All the girls were in it. They, you know, they had like the NAACP involved. And because of this, they had, they were created like a special uh, children's unit of the NAACP and they were in order to take care of like black children's specifically. Um, So because of this, they started investigating these like white guardians that were, you know, taking care of the finances of these black children. Um, but also like obviously taking a lot of advantage, taking their money, you know, and depriving them of the things that they were owed. So her Booker T. Washington ends up intervening and helping the family. And at that point um sarah starts getting educated she goes to this great school she ends up going to the tuskegee institute which is a was a you know like a huge black institution in alabama and yeah she was a millionaire by the time she turned 18 she owned stocks she owned bonds she owned a boarding house several businesses and uh 2,000 acres of land um she graduated from the Tuskegee Institute and moved her whole family to Kansas City, Missouri. Um, she ended up buying a house on 12th Street, which is still up today. It's called the Rector House. And she married a man. They had three kids and they ended up divorcing in 1930. So Sarah lived like a pretty comfortable life. She really was like living her life as a bad bitch. She liked nice clothes. She liked fast cars. She was always getting speeding tickets for driving, you know, <laughs> 15 miles an hour, I'm sure. Um, she, you know, would host parties and, you know, was like really a pillar of the black community. Um, but she would also like have her chauffeur take kids around the neighborhood to school every once in a while. Um, so basically what happened is like she she ended up living a pretty good life. Um she and her first husband started opening a car dealership was like, I think the first or second car dealership in Chicago, um, that ended up failing. They ended up getting divorced and, you know, unfortunately with the onset of the depression, she ended up losing a lot of her wealth, like a lot of people did. Um, but she ended up living until 1967. So she was 65. Um, and she, her, uh, body was buried in her hometown of Taft, Oklahoma. So I, you know, I just love luxury, opulence, wealth, the idea of this, like, you know, tween, <laughs> just like walking around in like the finest petticoats, just being a bad bitch and like letting these people know, like, I'm going to take my little Studebaker and clog up the earth with the pollution And you're just going to have to be mad about it. And guys, did you also know that there was like a thriving black community in Oklahoma? Like thriving, thriving, thriving. They did so well. They created their own businesses. It was like just this amazing thing. They were doing so well financially. And a bunch of white people came in and fucking 
tore everything down because they were so mad that these black people were doing well. They torched businesses. So many people died. Um, a lot of people ended up losing their wealth, their businesses, like and their whole livelihoods because these white people were just so jealous of them. It's disgusting. And I think people are only like recently, there seems to be a resurgence of people finding out about this story, but I definitely encourage you to look into that. Okay. So now let's get into somebody evil. And that person is Lori effing Vallow. Oh my god, we did it, guys. I can't stop crying. Lori Vallow has finally been arrested after five months of being an absolute reckless, murderous, creepo monster. And I couldn't be more happy, frankly. Can you hear it? Um, Before I get into the arrest itself, let's talk about some things that happened prior to this. So, some news came out that Lori had... (laughs) I don't mean to laugh. This is so freaking crazy. Lori threw a pool party for her kids hours after her husband was killed by her brother. So there was a Dateline episode about all about Lori that happened, I believe, two Fridays ago. Um, And yeah, they really spilled some tea. So on July 11th, 2019, Lori Vallow's brother, Alex Cox, called 911 to report that he had just killed Charles Vallow, JJ's adopted father, Lori's estranged husband. So they were very much um, in the process of getting divorced at this point. So during that Friday's episode of Dateline, um, they get into how Lori was acting after her husband had just died. So... Alex, her brother, said, I got into a fight with my brother-in-law and I shot him in self-defense. That's what Alex told the police body cam footage. He said that Charles um, had come at him with a bat. And so he shot him. So they, Lori, JJ, and Tylee. So Lori and the kids were at home when the police arrived to question Alex about the death of her husband. So Lori apparently did not appear rattled or upset about the death of her husband at all. There was police body cam video. She can see, be seen laughing and apologizing to her neighbors about the police presence. Um, Arizona detectives told Dateline that throughout their interviews with Lori, she never seemed to be phased that her brother had shot and killed her husband, like, at all. They said Lori was the kind of happy-go-lucky. She was just kind of smiling. She was talking about how Tylee was going to BYU-Hawaii, and it was just very, very nonchalant. You would have thought we just recovered their stolen vehicle. Um, So Alex, the guy who killed her husband um, was also seen dabbing at a wound on the back of his head that he said that he got when Charles Vallow hit him with the baseball bat. But um, the officer said that it didn't appear at all to be struck with, you know, it, it wasn't like something, it didn't appear to be an injury consistent with being struck in the back of the head with a baseball bat. We'll just basically said that. So Charles apparently was very fit, um, you know, and a formal former college baseball player. So, uh, clearly, like, if anybody was going to be making, like, a big impact, it would be a guy like him. So then we find out that Alex, um, you know, died a few months later. So that same day that Charles was killed, neighbors said that Lori threw a pool party. Um, yeah, it, it's... Whew, okay. 
Um, so Tyler's aunt, Ann Cushing, told Dateline that she believes that what Lori and Cox told was a cover-up in terms of, like, why Charles was killed and that the children went missing because of what they knew. Um, she said, I do wonder if, with Tylee, if she was asked to toe the line to keep everyone out of prison. So the day after Charles's death, Lori texted Charles's two sons from his previous marriage that their father had died. Real nice, right? Charles's ex-wife, Cheryl, could not believe that that's how Lori broke the news to them. Uh, same girl. Um, she said, I couldn't believe that she did that in that way. I mean, I wish she would have called me and said, can you please tell me? But it was so brutal to do it through a text message. It was just so horrible. Oh, my God. Okay, so finally on Thursday, police in Hawaii announced the arrest of Lori Vallow, the mother of two missing Idaho children. Okay. Um, the Kauai Police Department released a statement on Twitter about it. Um, it basically says that the Kauai Police Department arrested 47-year-old Lori Vallow, a.k.a. Lori Daybell, of Idaho on Thursday in relation to an investigation being conducted by the Rexburg, Idaho Police Department. Vallow was arrested on a warrant issued by Madison County, Idaho, and is currently being held at a KPD cell block on a $5 million bail. Her two children, 17-year-old Tylee Ryan and 7-year-old Joshua J.J. Vallow, have been missing since September. Vallow failed to comply with a court order to produce her children before authorities on January 30th in Madison County. She has since been charged with two felony counts of desertion and non-support of dependent children. She was also charged with arrests and seizures, resisting or obstructing officers' criminal solicitation to commit a crime and contempt of court, willful disobedience of the court process or order. Um, So then they go on to, like, thank her... um, and yeah, they kind of go through the timeline that said that it, in December of 2019, the Rexburg police uh, requested the Kauai Police Department's help with locating Vallo and her husband, Chad, Chad Daybell. By the way, Chad did not get arrested. He's free still now. Um, so the KPD subsequently received an affidavit requesting assistance in securing a search warrant, which was obtained by the Fifth Cir- Circuit of the District Court in Hawaii in connection to Rexburg PD's ongoing investigation into the missing children. On January 25th, the Kauai police presented an Idaho order to Vallow to produce their children before authorities in Madison County. On January 26th, the KPD served a search warrant related to the Rexburg PD's investigation on the rented vehicle occupied by Vallow and Daybell, as well as the condo they were renting in Princeville, um, Valo would now attend a hearing on Kauai. The date is yet to be confirmed. Um, I think that date has been announced as May, March 2nd. Um, she will have an opportunity to waive or fight her extradition to Ohio, Idaho. And once in Idaho, she'll face her criminal charges. So she's basically just sitting in Hawaii until March 2nd. And then she can, um, let them know if she wants to waive her right or fight the extradition. So um, I believe her lawyer or somebody involved in the investigation said that they don't expect that she's going to waive waive that, um, that usually if they do waive the extradition, that it can take like a 90-day process to like figure everything out, but they don't expect that she's going to do that. Um, her lawyers actually tried to get the bail dropped to, I think, $10,000 from $5 million because they, they claim that she's been really compliant and um, 
you know, with the whole process and that this was basically just like an egregious amount of money that they're asking for. I do not agree. You, I, was, I should say that you should look at the picture of her um, mugshot, but I'll post it with this post. She looks, I mean, for the picture, there's basically like one or two pictures that are spread on the internet about her, um, where she looks very pretty. We've seen videos of her. She looks very pretty. This, you can tell, things have really taken a toll on her. I mean, generally people don't look very happy when they're, um, or good when they're posting a mugshot. It's not like they're great for lighting, but you can definitely tell that like she is worn down. She looks exhausted. She looks mentally like there's a weariness there that is dark and deep. Um, so, oh my gosh. So basically then we find out that Lori, um, you know, when the kids, when the police have been looking for JJ, that they found out that she told them that she, that JJ was staying with a friend. And the friend told police that she had been asked to lie about that and tell the investigators that she had the boy, even though he had not been in her care for months. Um, the police in Rexburg, Idaho also said in a probable cause affidavit filed against Fallow that she has not been seen with her children for months and essentially erased them from her life before moving to Hawaii with her new and fifth husband. The affidavit also says that there's no evidence that Vallow put her children, um, in anybody else's care. Um, yeah, this is crazy. Uh, they have found, I believe, Tylee's cell phone on Lori, her ID, um, that she, that Chad Daybell, people who had known Chad, that basically they were under the impression that Lori was an empty nester and that her kids were like grown and out of the house and that she really was like living her life. Like she didn't have to take care of minor children at all. Certainly not a child who had autism or special needs or anything like that. Um, I mean, unfortunately, like I said before, it's very obvious that these children have been, have long since left this earth, and that's very tragic, and hopefully we can find some answers, and hopefully, I don't know, I think this is all very wild. I'm very curious, since her newest husband, who has been, you know, writing these doomsday books and seems very much involved in the doomsday prepper lifestyle, the, you know, the, we're going to be, you know, the world's going to end this summer and we're going to be the only ones left and we have to save people. Uh, I'm very curious to see how he acts now that she's free or not, excuse me, now that she's in jail, if he's going to stay in Hawaii, if he's going to go back to Idaho with her and try to fight this. Um, I'm very curious to see where this is all going. I feel like, I mean, not to like make this spectacle out of it, but it's very few times where I think you can kind of see that this is a story is going to be huge and impactful and shocking and will might, you know, change the landscape and how we view human nature. Um, I think it's hard to see that when it's happening, but this is like one of the few times where you can see it happening. And I, I, I'm still very shocked by this whole situation. And I, I just, I need some answers. How about you guys? You guys, unfortunately, Married at First Sight and Love After Lockup have been a little bit of duds this week. But I think I can just recap it real quick. That way I'm just keeping current. You know, let's get into it. 
So the couples have been together on Married at First Sight for two weeks now. So that means they've got six weeks down left in the experiment. Brandon and Taylor are, excuse me, Taylor rather is Taylor of Brandon and Taylor are, she's out with her girlfriends and they're catching up and asking her like how the, how the process has gone. So we're led to believe that basically everybody's been cut off from family and friends for the past couple weeks since the wedding, basically. So they're keeping up. Um, Taylor ends up telling them about the temper tantrum that Brandon had in Panama saying, fuck you, fuck this, fuck you. I can't wait to get back to DC. Fuck all y'all, whatever. They're clearly disgusted with his behavior and uh, gosh, her boyfriend, her boyfriend's bra straps kept slipping and being exposed. But I think what was said that Taylor is that she's trying to make it work. And honestly, that was basically the whole storyline between Brandon and Taylor. It's just like, Let's talk about what happened in Panama, but then Taylor will try to bring it back and say, we're just going to try and make it work. Um, this episode, they have like the friends and family meetups where they are come to, coming to the, you know, their couple's apartments and like, you know, integrating their lives together a little bit more. But this is pretty much Brandon and Taylor's whole storyline is like, we're going to keep talking about this, but we're almost still going to let it go. We're going to keep talking about this and we're also going to let it go. Which one are we going to choose? Pickle wall boots. Um, so Katie and Derek, Katie has dinner with her mom. Derek has dinner with his dad. Katie says that she's, that Derek is a little bit too comfortable around her. And then we get this reveal of Derek being like an absolute frat boy and keeping like, he keeps talking about his bowel movements. It's actually really gross. And I don't blame her for not like, you know, it really kind of destroys sexy time for me. And I cannot blame her. Like he's really going into detail and I'll, I'll spare you guys, but like he really like, Ooh, it's just like, just say that you have to go to the bathroom. If you do, I don't know. It's, it's very strange, but Derek is talking to, his dad and he says like you know I think there's a chance that I um might love her but I don't see it happening like instantly basically um Derek says that there's less electricity between them but like he still has feelings for them for her um and basically like Derek's dad is like, you know, if I were Katie, I would be maybe a little bit nervous about hearing that, like, you see this love thing happening, like, far off in the distance. Because he said last month or last episode, like, six months to a year. Um, so Katie tells her mom that she's nervous about Derek's love timeline. And her mom is like, well, honestly, I don't think you're going to do any better, which upsets Katie. But her mom kind of tries to, like, bring it back and say, you know, I've been married twice. And like, I just found that like, once you start that cycle, you start being like a little bit more picky and in in a way that you shouldn't be, that's like a little bit detrimental for you. And you start like thinking that you're just going to find the next best thing, next best thing, next best thing. And like, maybe all along, you should have just been like trying to make your original relationship work. Um, but Katie's like so sure. She's like, I just, she's very stuck in her mind frame that like, if we've been living together for six to eight weeks and like, you should know if this is going to be like moving towards love or not. Um, I don't know if I fully agree with that. I think, you know, even though that's an accelerated process, like 
I kind of agree with Derek. Like you, you need to kind of sow those oats and have those moments and live in the moment. And I think even if you're in the experiment, you kind of have to like be realistic about it. If you want this marriage to work in your real life, you have to kind of approach it like, okay, yeah, we got married, but like, that's it. And like, that's what Derek was, Derek said was kind of saying he, Derek said that like, I guess he felt like it was stalling and he was like, Derek's dad was like, well, what you're feeling is like the reality of a situation. Like you're feeling the absence of the adrenaline of marrying a complete stranger, diving into this relationship. Now it's in your real life. And what you're, what you're thinking is like, oh, we're like missing the spark is actually just you're settling into your real life. And the, excitement of like all of these new rushed experiences are is gone you know um so then we get to austin and jessica we find out uh, this was kind of a throwaway episode that jessica works really long hours and austin doesn't because he's still like in the beginning of his career and she's a little bit fussy and a little bit like mommy and i'm wondering if like this is going to end up taking a toll on Austin because I think he's trying really hard. Like it seems like Jessica's very type a, like uh, the bed needs to be made every morning. Why aren't they like, she comments about the dishes not being done and the laundry not being done. And she says like, sometimes she'll work 17 hour days, but she was saying like, you know, it's really nice to have somebody to come home to. And it's not something that she's used to. And Austin made dinner, a delicious dinner of what looked like any frozen thing that he could find. It was like meatballs, quinoa, and like that clearly frozen vegetables pack of like carrots and peas and stuff. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I just feel like Jessica is going to start getting on his nerves because I, like I said, I think he's trying really hard to like keep up with her and keep up with like how, how neat she is and how she likes things just so, and he's not that way. And like we took a look at his apartment and it seemed clean. It really did. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think she's just very, very particular and she's going to have to loosen up. And I also think that like she, maybe needs to be honest with herself about Austin's position in life right now, um, financially, because I think she feels like when she tells the girls this later, like I'm fine with him, you know, making significantly less than me now because he's in the beginning of his career and that is something that's going to change. But also if we're having this financial imbalance, like he needs to kind of step up and do things around the house more. So I think that's something that she's really going to have to think about. Um, so then we go to... Okay, then the girls and the guys actually have meetups with each other. The guys meet up at like... <laughs> I love how they always do this. It's so stereotypical. Like they make the women have this picnic and the girls were supposed to bring stuff and like make stuff and then they just throw the guys at like a, a beer hall like here's the park bench ha- grab a grab a picture um so then let's see okay so then you know it's like a very back and forth between the guys and the girls mika says that she and michael are good right now but that they're trying to stay on the same page um 
she reveals that they're actually sleeping in the same bed now. And the girls are really surprised. And I, poor Mindy, it's like every time she sees a relationship marker happening that is not happening with her, like she really gets in her head and she gets frustrated and annoyed. And I, I totally get why, because she's stuck with like the biggest circle talking douchebag on the planet. <laughs> but it's also like, it makes me feel sad that she still lets those things get to her because she's just not in the right relationship that the other people are by far. Um, Michael tells the guys that they're slowly getting comfortable. Um, Brandon is finally kind of real with the guys. Um, He actually doesn't show up until later, um, but he ends up telling the guys that like he is in the couple's apartment, but he's living in the spare bedroom and that they're just trying to like rebuild a friendship. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Um Mindy tells the girls that Zach has not moved in yet because he feels like it wouldn't be healthy. And not only that, that he hasn't even come over to see the apartment yet. But she's still being hopeful. She's patient. She says, I'm here. Um, and I, you know, still wear my ring and I'm still very much in this marriage. I'm in the apartment. I'm I'm doing this thing day to day. I'm doing it by myself, but <laughs> but I'm still here. Um Zach tells the guys like, oh, you know, like I noticed that, you know, people are noticing that I'm feeling down and like my clients and stuff are just feeling that like I'm in a really bad mood and they're taking, you know, taking stock of that. It's being really weird. And Austin, we get this picture, this, um, they, the camera cues to Austin where he's just kind of like lost in space. And he says that he usually spaces out when Zach talks because he talks in circles. He's like, but the circle always just comes back to him. She's like, I always feel like he's about to make a point. And then he just ends up talking about himself. Um, Derek warns Zach, like, you know, you're not living in the apartment with her. But you need to be mindful of the fact that you guys aren't spending too much time away because that is really the not the point of the experiment. Like you're taking away from this. And he says that he doesn't really understand why Zach's still around, which is a great question. Um, Mindy says that she gets a sense that Katie really is starting to not really be into Derek anymore. And you know, like I mentioned earlier, Jessica keeps saying that this financial situation between uh, she and Austin is not really that big a deal, but she wants him to help around the house. Um, 
yeah, Brandon arrives and he mentions his outburst. And then we find out that he had actually like off camera apologized to all the cast members about it. Um, and Taylor's just saying that she's trying to be, keep being open-minded about her situation. So Mindy and Zach have a one-on-one. They meet up at the dog park with his two cute little puppies. Um, Mindy breaks it down and says, you know, it's taking a lot out of me to remain committed to this situation. And that she feels like she's owed an apology and an explanation as to why she is in this relationship by herself, basically. Um, then she, you know, extends the olive branch once again and asks like what she can do, you know, what the next step is for them. And Zach is like, well, just hang it out, you know, um, then we get Michael and Mika together. So now they're starting to plan the housewarming parties. Um, they're getting ready. Mika's very nervous about the situation. Um, and she sits Michael down and asks, like, you know, what's the situation with the rings? Like, I want to be on the same page. So Michael was still not wearing his rings since the honeymoon when he said that he felt like he was failing as a husband and that he didn't like basically deserve to wear the ring, which I always thought was BS. Um, and Mika asks the right question. She says, well, okay, I understand that you might feel this way about our relationship now, but down the line is if something happens, like, are you going to take your ring off every time we have an issue? Because that doesn't really make sense. And he agrees to that. And they agree to both put their rings off. So, cause she took her ring off. She's like, well, if you're not wearing yours and I'm not going to sit around acting like I'm married and being tied to somebody and wearing the symbol of our marriage to somebody who's not going to do the same for me. Um, so then they have people come over. The party's going well. Everybody's being really supportive. Michael has a sit down with Mika's mom and she says, you know, just take your time with the situation and, and let whatever happens happen. So Mindy and Zach have a get together with friends at the bar, not their apartment because it's not their apartment because Zach doesn't live there because he's a fuck ass. Um, Zach's ring is back on and Mindy's, So she's feeling hopeful. And again, this is another part where I feel really bad for Mindy because I feel like she takes any little sign of positivity and like kind of runs with it. And I think that's where it leads to disappointments because she's like, oh, he's wearing his ring. This is great. Like I'm, I'm feeling like the tides are really turning because he put his ring on, which to me, it just seems like, oh, he knew that he was going to be with her friends and his friends and that he wanted to keep up appearances. And that he didn't want to have any questions about, like, you know, that would make him look like the bad guy. It's very interesting. Thank God for Mallory, who is Mindy's friend we saw last episode. She loves a bandana. She loves to look kind of like Hulk Hogan, but, like, chic. Not chic. More feminine. (laughs) Um, But she's asking all the right questions. And she starts by asking... So Zach, how do you like the apartment that you're not living in? And then Zach's face gets all red and he starts to lie. And he, this is how I know that like, he had no intention of like giving this an honest go. Like he just wanted to seem like a nice guy. So he's like, but I have been there. He's like, you know, I've, I've been there and I hang out there all the time and it's great. Blah, blah, blah. Then he goes, well, I am going to go. I have intentions of going. So you didn't go freak. Um, so Mallory suggests like, 
you know, Mallory's like, what are you, what is your plan here? And he was like, well, my plan was to create space because blah, blah, blah. Like we were just being thrust in the situation during the honeymoon. And here we are now. So Mallory was like, well, why don't you just move into the spare bedroom and try to be friends? And Mallory hits the nail on the head and she says, it seems like your only plan is to make it seem like you're trying. And amen to you, Mallory. So they go back to the couple's apartment, Mallory, excuse me, Mindy, Mallory, and her two friends, Shawnee. And I can't remember what Shawnee's husband's name was, but they're like giving it to her straight. And thank God for her to have friends like this who are going to be honest with her. Um, so they, <laughs> Mallory keeps calling him Zatch, <laughs> not Zach. Um, and they basically all tell her like, he's talking a good game. He was perfectly nice to us. Like really, you know, he seemed great, but he's not following his words up with actions. And Mindy was like, well, speaking of action, I actually invited Zach over. So he comes over with one of his dogs and it's really awkward and, you know, they try to, Mindy's friends try to grill him again, but she's like, really tries to shut down the questioning. Um, Jessica and Austin, very boring. Everything goes well with them. Uh, they're playing beard pong and uh, excuse me, Austin really just says that he was shocked by their immediate connection and how just easy the transition's been. That was really the end of them. Um, then we have Brandon and Taylor having their party and their party is going to double as, um, Taylor's aunt's birthday. Taylor's dog, Taylor's a dog named Tyson, who is the same breed of dog that bit me in the face when I was like five. She's a little business of mine. I got bit in the face by my dogs, my friend's dog. We had like this was back, I lived in Illinois, and I was like maybe five or six, and <laughs> this isn't funny, but my friend's neighbor, like, I had two, basically, like, we lived kind of, like, on a corner, so there was, like, a corner, there was, like, four houses that would make up that corner, right, so it was, like, our house, and then the next door had two girls that were, like, a year older than me and a year below me, and then there was another house, and then around the corner, there was another girl who was... Uh, and also a year younger. So we would all like play Barbies. Like this was like the best situation. Cause we could all like share a big, huge backyard and play like flashlight tag and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, the girl named Carrie had a dog named Chrissy. And I was like, for some reason I was in the backyard alone. Cause I think Carrie had gone to like go to the bathroom or something. So I was alone with the dog and I just remember like trying to pet the dog. And I really don't remember her biting me, but I remember like, you know how when you're full of adrenaline and the pain hasn't set in, but you're like, something happened. <laughs> and again, I'm like six, maybe, maybe I'm seven, six or seven. And like, I just remember like getting up and being like, I have to go home. <laughs> and then I remember, um, something, maybe, I don't know what happened, but like my dad came out of the backyard and he started screaming. Like I've never heard my dad scream. He's what the fuck? And then <laughs> Gary's, dad, Gary's dad comes out 
and is like, I'm so sorry. Like, we, I still have the paperwork from the bite and, like, getting stitches. <laughs> it's not funny. Surprisingly, I still work with animals today. I could not love dogs more. Like, I'm obsessed with them. But anyway, Taylor has the dog the same breed of Chrissy, the the dog that tried to destroy my beautiful face. <laughs> um, and this is actually a fun story. If you guys see me, this is why I look so mean. I look like I'm scowling all the time because the scar is like right where you would have like a scowl like on your forehead. And so I think that's why I have a resting bitch face, you guys. So if you see me in public, like just remember there's a childhood trauma that's making my resting bitch face. It's not really me. It is really me, but it's also the dog bite. Um, anyway, so Taylor's dog Tyson has, um, territory issues and keeps trying to hump Brandon. Like we just see Brandon, and I'm not going to call him poor Brandon, but Brandon, like, walking around the house, like, poor Tyson's trying to establish his dominance as the the, the alpha dog in the house. And I, I'm loving it. Brandon finally getting what he deserves. Um, so Taylor's basically, I mean, it's really not worth going on back and forth with Taylor because, like I said before, it's literally just, like, they keep bringing up his outburst in Panama and then Taylor keeps defending him and saying like, even though they have these full conversations about how awful he is, just like, you know, they let her, she lets her friends go on and on and on. And then she's like, okay, like when she's ready to stop talking about it, she's like, okay, you guys, but like, we're just going to move forward and yada, yada. It's, it's lame, frankly. Um, Derek and Katie have friends over. Katie talks to her friends in the apartment and in their bedroom rather. And Katie just says that like, she wished that Derek could have more game in terms of like their sexual compatibility and that she is the one who initiates sex more often. Derek tells his friends that they're quote intimate friends and meaning like fuck buddies, I guess. Right. What else would that be? <laughs> um, Katie says, like, I, I understand why we were um, matched together, but I think sometimes it were a little too similar. Um, then after the party, they're downloading together on the bed. And Derek says that he, you know, is like, I found red flags in my past relationships, but I don't have any with you. And he really liked, he's like, you know, part of having friends over was, the fact that we could, that I wanted to see like how she integrated with my friends. And he's like, I really liked to see that she was like invested in my friends and in my friendship. And, and he was really easy going with them. It's like, that's really important to me. And that's really it. You guys, I'm hoping for more drama next week. It's been a few weeks since I covered love after lockup. Unfortunately, it's not that great except for Andrea Lamar, but let's get into it. (laughs) Um, I'm going to start with Megan, Michael, and Sarah. Megan, we only get one clip of her, like, writing a song and trying to sing it at her kitchen table. And she's talking about how she and Michael always, like, they have a similar passion for the studio and recording music. And that they always had intentions of making music together. But she has not heard from him in three weeks. And she really doesn't know what he's up to. So she actually (laughs) calls his mother, Carolyn, who she's always had beef with. And they've never gotten along to see where he is. And Carolyn's like, I don't know where he is. 
I haven't spoken to him either. Obviously, she's probably not telling the truth, but alas. Um, Then, Sarah, we get a scene with Sarah and the kids. And the kids are so, so cute. I I hate that Michael is doing this to them. Um, She texts Michael to go to therapy so they can work on their co-parenting. And Michael's with his new girlfriend, Maria, who I haven't spoken about um, because I haven't recapped in a couple weeks. But this girl is something else. She is like just one of those chicks who thinks that the ex-girlfriend or the ex-baby mama or, you know, ex-wife or whatever is the problem. And like, they always, it's always the exes that need to grow up and they're so jealous and she, they need to understand that I'm in your life and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, she doesn't seem to understand that maybe Sarah or any woman is not going to take kindly to like, their baby's father not speaking to their children for months, showing up randomly with some chick and who wants to like play house with them in the motel six that he rented. Like you're not, it's not ever going to go well. And I don't know why you expect it to and why you would expect to think no woman in their right mind would think it was okay to be with a man who abandons their children basically I'm sure he's telling her that he's like such a a doting father, blah, blah, blah. And that's probably why she's giving him money on his Venmo. But what sane woman would think that like the first that I'm going to fly to his baby mother's home state and like meet the kids and like everything's going to be hunky dory. Like, why would you even think that that was going to go over? Well, I, this, this girl's really weird. And she keeps talking about how like, Oh, Sarah doesn't please her man. And like, he loves threesomes. And if he wants to get down with threesomes and like, she's all about it because, and somehow that makes her like a good woman or something whatever girl um so they're like it's so strange so sarah and michael go to therapy of course michael's 30 minutes late sarah says she's been seeing this therapist since she was 15 and i have questions one because i think princess maybe you said this that like it's weird to have a therapist for that long did you say that (laughs) let me know i think like that it's at some point it ends up being like counterproductive and I think it is. And I just, if she's been with this lady for 15, since she's 15. So we're talking like, I think Sarah might be 26. So like 10 years now. And through that, <laughs> you managed to get mixed up with this dude. Who's perpetually in and out of jail. You married him while he was in jail You had a baby while he was in jail. You raised another kid while he was in jail. (laughs) He cheated on you while he was in jail, girl. Is this a therapist that you need to be going to? Because I don't feel like she's helping you make sound decisions. I don't know. Like, am I crazy for saying that? I just feel like she's not giving you the right tools for your life. (laughs) Because now you're with a dude who doesn't want to take care of either two of his children. And... Now you're looking like Boo Boo the Fool. I don't know, you guys. Um, He says that his dad not being around kind of messed up with him. Like, his parents were married, but he doesn't really ever remember them being together. And his father moved on and that he kind of, like, he feels like his mom really trash-talked his father and 
that affected the way he viewed his father, but I'm not really sure why this is making him a terrible father now. You would think that that would maybe steer him in the other direction, but I don't know. Michael's cornrows are backwards practically. Who knows what decisions he's making. Um, Sarah reveals, unfortunately, that her mom passed away when she was 12 and that a lot of her anxiety comes from the fear that like, if something were to happen to her, the kids would go to Michael, but the kids don't have a relationship with Michael and she's afraid of that. Um, she also tells us that Aviana is in therapy, which is their oldest daughter. She's like, like four maybe. Um, and that she told the therapist that, you know, they do these like, oh, I'm happy, sad, whatever. She told the therapist that she was sad because she wants to make her dad happy, but he's not around to do that. And then Michael starts bugging and basically said that Sarah has told the children that he doesn't want anything to do with them and he doesn't want to be around them and that he doesn't love them, which Sarah loses it. She's like, are you kidding me? Um, she then reveals that she t filed for temporary emergency custody of the children and got it until they can go to the courts and figure out their custody decision, uh, you know, formally. Michael gets really mad. He starts yelling and walks out of therapy. And that was the end of them. So going to Lacey and Shane and John. Um, so last week, Shane admitted to having slept with a girl before the wedding. So naturally, this gives... Lacey like carte blanche to go to her other dude John who is no longer in jail because he ended up getting like a really great deal and ended up um getting put in like a halfway house for drugs so he can work and he's seems to be doing a lot better he seems to be sober um he I guess is like a like a refrigerator heating and cooling repair guy um and we're always finding him like at other people's houses, like quote unquote, fixing the refrigerator. So they're in the garage and he's claiming to fix the refrigerator in the garage, but he also invites her and the camera crew <laughs> into the house because he says that they're not home, which like, is he doing that because he knows these people and he got clearance? Is he doing that because he just doesn't know that that's not okay? Like, I'm very confused. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com um but anyway they're like hanging out on the couch 
<laughs> in this, some stranger's house. And she's got his arm around her. She's got her legs up on his lap. Very like Tristan and Jordan last year. And they're like kissing and she keeps telling John about how much she misses him. And then she tells him about how Shane had cheated. And they're basically like talking about getting back together. And she's saying like, you know, like I should never have married him, blah, blah, blah. And that she wished she could, she basically says like their only issue between them is the fact that John has a drug problem. And if she could go back to back in time, she would change things. Um, then Lacey tells John about the tattoo that she got of Shane's name on her um, mom's pubis, if you will. Google that if you don't know what it is. I can't imagine you don't. Her her mound. That's another word. Um, then they're like ripping cigs. They're making out. They're ripping cigs in the garage. And they talk about where they're going. And she says she doesn't want to lose him. Oh, girl. Get a grip, Lacey. My God. Um, then we get to Clinton Tracy. Um, some random person. It doesn't look like production. We find out later that it is, but it just looks like some random dude just barged into Clinton Tracy's house. Because um, they don't give him a Chiron. <laughs> but they're, they barge into the house and they're yelling for Clinton Tracy. Clinton comes out from the back room and says he has not seen Tracy since the day before that he has been trying to get her into rehab and that she refused. So they had had sex that night and everything was great. But then she, uh, took the dog and the car that morning and he hasn't heard from her since like he keeps calling her, but no answer. (sighs) George. Um, I would like to say that Clinton is sucking on a weed pen and you know that because he's also smoking cigarettes. Like, who smokes cigarettes and also a, a nicotine pen at the same time? He's clearly vaping weed. It's so crazy. And I just can't, I mean, I can believe, but like, he seems to view va- Tracy's problem as worse than his own. And have you guys seen this video that's going around of him saying that he was on meth and that he this was a cameo video that he did for somebody where he says that he's on meth and that Tracy's like tricking for drugs basically. And that he hates her. Fuck that bitch, whatever. And somebody's clearly like behind the camera coaching him on what to say. It's very, very strange, but like he does drugs just as hot, just as much as she does. And like, she has a problem obviously. And she keeps, getting arrested for that problem but like he also has a problem and he's in complete denial about it and he keeps trying to trick his parents into thinking that he's the good one and that he's just like this long-suffering husband when he's out there doing meth I mean come on dude um so literally that was it like she's she finally gets a hold of they finally get a hold of Tracy and she's basically like I'm not going to rehab like you guys can't tell me what to do Um, (laughs) we get to Marcelino and Brittany, um, Giovanni, her little cute son and Brittany come home with a new puppy. Marcelino's very stressed out because, you know, he starts ranting and raving about how expensive puppies are. And Brittany's really confused as to why he's so affected by this. And then we find out that Marcelino is actually not doing well with his poker career and that he's 
also lost money to the tune of like a couple mortgage payments. So like in the thousands of dollars. And he says that he's desperate. The last scene we see of him is him driving up to a house and walking into some large breasted woman's home. And we hear her ask like, does your wife know that you're here? And that's the end of, of that. Um, then we're going to go to the, what seems like the unfortunate demise of my favorite body and Clyde, <laughs> but stupid, um, Cheryl and Josh. So since, uh, Tracy, Josh's mother has hit Cheryl, Josh is unsure if, if they can live peacefully together anymore. You think Josh, the answer is no, Tracy cannot live with your mother because she put hands on her. <laughs> Um, then we see Tracy, no, Tracy, sorry, Cheryl outside of a house that they were going to look at because obviously Cheryl needs a place to live and she's outside the house waiting for Josh. Josh rolls up. She's like, why are you late? He's like, well, I was working. He's only 30 minutes late. We never see the realtor or anything like that. She's just waiting in the um, driveway. So she starts ranting and raving. She's screaming those spaghetti straps off and she calls him a controlling piece of shit and he calls her a bitch. So I guess they've broken up. (laughs) Um, Mother Tracy meets Josh at the side of the road and they have a nice little conversation on a piece of cement and he tells his mom that they finally broke up and we get a flashback of all the good times between them. And by that, I mean Cheryl literally like losing it and screaming and like her various cut off jean shorts. Josh says he feels lighter. And I think we all do. Um, then we get to our last, my favorite couple, Andrea and Lamar. Andrea is in bed telling her friend to come pick up the kids so that she can have a conversation with Lamar. They had gotten into an argument because, you know, she, they're trying to figure out who, is going to live where she wants him to live in Utah. He has no intention of doing so. So she proposed a divorce at the dinner last night. Things got really off track. So Lamar's like, what's happening? She's having breakfast with the kids, but Tennyson's like, why do we have to go with your friend? Is everything okay? (laughs) That's the best impression I can do is of Tennyson. Isn't that sad? Um, but so the kids end up leaving and Andrea says that <laughs> Andrea is such a trip. She was like, I was looking in Lamar's jacket pocket for his wallet because <laughs> I needed his debit card to buy him a ticket to go back to LA. <laughs> How are you going to buy a ticket from somebody on their card and tell them to go back <laughs> she's wild um so then she says that she found something in the pocket so the kids leave she's very calm ish but you could tell she's like waiting to turn up and she says she's like oh um is that the jacket that you brought is that the only jacket that you brought here to utah and he's like yeah she's like why don't you go ahead and uh, look at those pockets right there see what's in there and then we see two gold wrapper condom wrappers <laughs> before he can even like his hand barely left you can barely see that the condom he's holding condoms before she smacks and decks him on the side of the head and starts beating his ass like 
<laughs> Amber and Gary in 2009. It was unbelievable. <laughs> like, like, she's crashing into cameras, into the rest of the production. Like, I told you not to, you know, like, she is pissed. She really, I mean, I... <laughs> I truly don't know when this lady has signed to be a Mormon because she's such a disaster in the meantime. But she, God bless her. God bless Andrea. <laughs> I love it. Okay, you guys, I think that that's going to be the end of the episode for this week. Um, I'll be back before the 90 days is back this week. So hopefully I'll be back with a recap of the premiere episode later this week. And hopefully I will not inundate you guys with three and four episodes this week, but who knows? Um, enjoy your week. If you guys want to give me a birthday present, feel free to give me a five-star review over there on iTunes. Tell everybody that I am your seventh favorite black woman podcast talking about pop culture and 90 day fiance and sister wives. Okay. Um, love you guys so much. Thank you for listening. Thank me for speaking. Have a great week end your Black History Month doing something great for the people. Okay? Bye.